Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo. I'm joined uh, not by Nick Pollock in this episode because he is currently writhing in bed with a stomach bug. Instead, we went out and we got Chris Grovich. Chris, what's going on? Hi. Sorry, Nick. Please don't die on us. Eh, debatable on if we want that to happen. We also, get, uh, Speaking of which, uh, we got Matt here. Matt, what's happening? Not much, Bill. How are you doing this evening? Uh, I'm doing all right. Uh, I'm doing much better uh, than I probably thought I would be considering what happened uh, in the Rose Bowl. Of course, Penn State fell to USC 52-49 to in a game that is already being thrown up there with the Texas-USC Rose Bowl as one of the best Rose Bowls of all time. Uh, whether it is the best ever, we'll let you all debate that. I don't think it is. I'm sure everyone... Uh, there, there are plenty of people who will argue that it is. Whatever, neither here nor there. Uh, but we're going to talk about this game, uh, what was good, what was bad, how we felt after, because I think that's kind of an important thing uh, for a lot of Penn Staters. Some were pretty angry, some were, uh, they weren't as angry as you probably would have thought. Talk about the year, maybe we'll talk about 2017 a little bit, and then just for fun, we'll talk about the inevitability that is Alabama winning a national championship. But before we get into any of that, USC 52, Penn State 49. Penn State scored touchdowns on seven straight possessions, uh, but it wasn't enough because Sam Darnold uh, thought it would be fun to go out and rewrite the Rose Bowl record books. He was fantastic. All in all, it was just a really, really great game. And when we, I, I want to talk about the good from this one because there was so much good for us as Penn State fans, as football games fans, everything to take away from this game. And Matt, uh, I want to start with you. What was the the good thing, the biggest good thing that you took away from this game? Um, I'm going to cheat and say two, which yeah, go ahead. Chris will probably yell at me because I'm going to take one, I'm going to give, take one of the obvious answers, but um, Chris Guywin and Saquon Barkley's performance <laughs> on offense was just, and well, I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit more as we go on here, but the level of, of talent on display on both sides on both teams, on offense especially, was just absolutely stupid good. Um, you know, Godwin's the, the one-handed catch that I think everyone around me at the game kind of looked around like, did, did he just do what he looked like he just did? And they showed the replay, and it was we saw it. We still weren't exactly sure how he did it. Um, it was kind of is the epitome of, of what he did throughout the game for Penn State. Um, just on a number of great catches and big plays for the offense throughout the game. Um, and then uh, what can we say about Saquon Parkley at this point? Um, you know, really the first time he's probably been as close to 100% as he has been all season. And we saw the, the Barkley that I think we saw, you know, flashes up during the year, especially in the middle part um, before he kind of got slowed down a little bit by maybe a little bit of an injury. Maybe teams playing to take him away as the year went on. Um, but just big play after big play. Um, we're going to get a little bit more here later, but the, the long touchdown run to, uh, give Penn State the lead there to start the second half on their first possession. Um, just, he, he was he was every bit the engine that drove Penn State's offense, um, you know, all, all game. Kind of, there was the Barkley, like I said, that I thought we were going to see for most of the season. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what we could say about Saquon Barkley in this game that we haven't said about him really throughout his Penn State career. I mean, USC, we knew that their, uh, in terms of rushing defense, their big issue came in allowing big plays. Um, they're currently, 100 and, after this game, 105th in rushing ISO PPP. 
I believe they were around the same place coming into this one, but Barkley still, he just was out of his mind. That 79-yard touchdown run, uh, I... I don't know if there are words that can accurately describe how amazing that was. We were talking, uh, Chris, a little bit earlier how this run compared uh, to the famous Kijana Carter touchdown run on Penn State's first offensive snap of the Rose Bowl against Oregon. Well, as yeah, yes, as a resident old guy here, um, I was, I believe, 19 when that Rose Bowl was played. And, uh, I mean, I've seen the, the highlight, obviously, a million times since it happened. Saquon's run was better, and I don't think it's really even close. Kajana busted the tackle at the line of scrimmage and then just turned on the Jets. And, you know, 10 yards into the run, Keith Jackson was already saying, there he goes, bye-bye. <laughs> and, the next, and the next thing you saw was, you know, the, the tight shot of Kajana's uh, helmet just bobbing and bobbing as he sprinted toward the end zone, and nobody was near him. With Barkley, I mean... He bounced it and then broke a tackle at the line of scrimmage, then bounced a little further outside and shook off another guy. And then suddenly, about 10 yards downfield, was surrounded by four guys. I took a screenshot of this and, and tweeted it. He was surrounded by four guys, all within about three yards of him, and, and the run went for another 61 yards. It was absolutely one of the best, if not the best, run I have ever seen somebody you know, in a Penn State uniform. It's just astounding absolutely astounding how his vision and his speed and his power he showed off everything he's able to do on that one run and um as far as the highlights of the game clearly it is uh tyler davis's seven for seven uh, <laughs> extra points and blake Gillikin's 50.8 yards per punt so yeah matt thought he was slick by taking godwin and barkley but really let's talk about tyler davis and blake Gillikin. yeah i mean well let's actually let's talk for a second uh about the job that Tyler Davis did on kickoffs because, you know, he got put into a really weird situation with, uh, we don't know why Joey Julius wasn't playing, or at least I didn't, being at the game, uh, there was nothing to indicate why Joey wasn't in, but Davis had to step in and do something he never I can tell you. Before. Well, oh, what was that? He, he was hurt. Um, I think he had a back injury. I, I saw one of the beat writers tweet during halftime that Julius came out and tried, uh, tried to do some kickoffs, and as, as soon as he, he hit one of them, he just sort of grabbed his back and slammed his helmet to the ground. Oh, so he was, he was injured. And, and Penn State tried a number of different things to try yeah. to, to compensate for that. They tried a, a, a pooch kickoff that went very poorly and ended up at the 40-some yard line. Then they kicked a few straight away to Adore Jackson, which is a, <laughs> a poor idea. And, and finally, they got one right where they sort of pooched it to uh, an up back, and then that kind of worked. But, yeah, it really threw Penn State's... Uh, uh, special teams uh, for a little loop there. Yeah, I, I mean, getting thrown into a job you're never you you're not used to doing is, I mean, that's never fun. And then you add in the fact that USC has, I mean, watching a Dory Jackson in person, man, like they're so good. Uh, oh, it's amazing. Like every time he touched the ball, you thought he was going to do something special with it. Like he's just that good of a football player, that shifty, that fast. He's so many different things, and it was. And suddenly Davis is put into a situation where it's, hey, man, guess what? You're kicking off today, and oh, by the way, you have to make sure you kick in such a way that Adoree Jackson isn't able to rip one. So, uh, yeah, good luck out there. And he, I mean, all things considered, he didn't do too bad of a job. I mean, Jackson didn't score a touchdown, which is really all that, uh, really all that you can ask out of him. So, good job, Tyler Davis. Uh, you guys mentioned uh, Keith Jackson. 
for a second. Chris, what was it? Uh, what was it like watching Keith Jackson back in the booth? Because that was something that I didn't get. Again, didn't get a chance to see it, but I had Twitter pulled up at one point, and everyone was just losing their minds about how awesome it was that you know Keith was back. It was sad. It was, it was great to see him. I mean, he's eighty-eight, so let's get that out of the way. Yeah, Keith Jackson is a god, and he's eighty-eight years old. But he really just was not, he didn't have a lot of energy. Fowler was really trying to drag words out of him. And, and Keith sort of rambled off on on some uh, some tangents. And, and Fowler was just trying to keep the whole thing together. But he's Keith Jackson. I mean, what the hell? He, he he came back to the Rose Bowl because of Penn State. You know, he hadn't been there in, in a decade, pretty much. And he came back because of his love for Penn State, of all, all things. So... Great to see him. Uh, wish him continued health and, and happiness. And as you know, I, ho- I hope he lives to 108. But um, it was you know just a little a little reminder that we're all getting old. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if, yeah if the voice if the voice of my my college football viewing youth is now um, 88 years old and struggling a little bit, it's a sad reminder for us all. That was that was beautiful, Chris. That was real beautiful. Thank you. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> let's uh let's talk about one good thing. Uh, and I'm saying this is good, even though it was very bad for Penn State. And that was Sam Darnold. Um, I, I just want to talk about him as someone who likes watching football and who likes especially watching quarterback play. That was amazing. I mean, he showed us he, he showed us some of the stuff that we see out of Trace McSorley, you know, really shifty in the pocket, re- able to move around. His ability to escape pressure is fantastic. And that was always going to be an issue for Penn State, how it dealt with that aspect of Darnold's game. And for the most part, I thought they dealt with it about as well as they could without, you know, registering a sack. But I, and Matt, this is something that I've argued since the game. I thought Penn State's defense played, and it's really hard to say this considering it allowed 52 points and nearly 600 yards. I thought the defense played all in all a pretty solid, pretty sound game. The issue was USC was just out there between Darnold and uh, Deontay Burnett and Juju Smith-Schuster doing, just making these amazing, amazing plays that no matter what Penn State's defense was doing, it wasn't going to be enough. I would agree with that probably to like 85%. I think there was, you know, and this is going to be true of any game where defense is not going to be perfect in every snap but there were so many plays where Penn State seemed like they did everything right whether it was getting pressure on Darnold or playing good coverage or whatever it would be and USC's players just made plays um the one that has going to stick out to everyone is the one in the fourth quarter where it looked like they finally had Darnold sacked and he's able to jump and get enough on it where it's tipped at least once, maybe twice, and ends up in Juju Smith-Schuster's hands for a huge first down. And I think that was the drive that tied the game, or maybe got him with that within one. But it was one of those scoring drives in the fourth quarter for, for SC that got them back in the game. Um, just in the number of plays where, you know, whether it was Jordan Smith or Grant Haley or Campbell or you know, anyone in coverage, was right there with their man, and the pass was just perfectly placed where they didn't have a chance to get it if they you know, knew where it was going. It was just that well-thrown or that well-executed. Um, we, we talked a little bit about it, and Craig wrote about it on the site before the game, that one of the keys of the game was going to be 
trying to get getting pressure on Darnold is one thing, but getting him on the ground is a whole different animal. And I had not watched enough of USC before Monday to really appreciate just how how good he is. He's certainly athletic. Um, you know, he has the the speed and the athleticism to get away from guys. But it's the subtle little moves that he'd make in the pocket just to buy himself a couple extra seconds by taking a step up or taking a step to the right or to the left just to just to give himself that extra split second needed to, for a guy to get open. Um, and and then then he would do that and he'd still make the throw. Um, just like I said, really have have a whole new level of appreciation for just the amount of talent that SC was able to, to throw out there. Um, and really impressed with the way Penn State, for the most part, I thought did a pretty good job against it. Just there, they made plays that there wasn't really any any defense for. Yeah, uh, I actually uh, on the on the plane ride back, I listened to uh, the shutdown full cast and its preview for this one. And Spencer Hall made it a point to mention with Darnold his ability to process information so quickly as it is happening. And uh, I wish I listened to that before because maybe that would have gotten me a little bit more, uh, a little bit more prepared for how things would have gone. But my God, that I, I want to say as a Penn State fan, that is a bad thing. But as someone who likes football, I I can't do that. He was just that good, and I really, really hope that he does not get drafted by the Browns. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's inevitable. Yeah, sorry, Matt. Uh, so yeah, let's uh, speaking of bad things. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, Penn, oh, you know, Penn State's defense. Just real quick, Penn State's defense played really well for about four drives in the middle of the game, where they, you know, they they forced a missed field goal, a few punts, and then the Brandon Bell interception, and the rest of it was just Sam Darnold being an absolute surgeon. Um, like Matt said, there were a few plays where Penn State defenders were just draped over their guys in perfect position. And Darnold would hit, you know, anticipating throwing, you know, a foot outside his receiver's outside shoulder. It was just sort of amazing to watch that that play to Juju Smith-Schuster down the sideline. Just, you know, incredible. He had and he, Kevin Givens was on him. Yeah, he was on him, and he and he just dropped it in a bucket. And yeah. and Smith-Schuster made an amazing play. But I mean, USC's offensive line kept him clean. Darnold kept his eyes down the field, and it's like he does everything Trace McSorley does, but with more natural talent. You know, he has the NFL arm. He has the sort of NFL size, and um, it's just amazing to see from a guy who started maybe, what, two-thirds of the season of his freshman year to just perform like that on on such a stage and just absolutely shred a a pretty good defense that wasn't, you know, like you said, it's 52 points, but... A lot of those plays, Penn State was in position, and credit to his offensive line for for giving enough time. And you know, Penn State's uh, secondary is pretty good, but not good enough to cover guys you know, of USC's wide receiver caliber for that long, and 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 especially not against a quarterback like Darnold. So it was it was amazing to watch, and I'm glad we don't have to see him again unless it's a national championship game next year. So let's. Yeah. Uh, Let's hope for that. Yeah, actually, let's not hope for that. I never want to see him again <laughs> uh, go against Penn State as long as I live because that that first touchdown pass where he stepped up in the pocket and he found, uh, I think it was Burnett in between two receivers was it was ridiculous. Yeah, like, I not two receivers, two uh, the two safeties. Yeah, never mind. 
Um, let's move on uh, to the bad things. Uh, there are a few uh, bad things I think we could take away from this one. Uh, Chris, we'll start with you. Uh, for you, what was the thing that you're going to take away from this game that makes you the most upset? Uh, and if you want to, since Matt kind of copped out with the last answer, taking uh, you know Chris Godwin and Saquon Barkley, if you want to take uh, Penn State somewhat imploding, by all means, go for it. Yeah, I'll, I'll take as many answers from Matt as I can. Uh, for, for one thing, it was essentially a three-man offense. It was just Barkley, McSorley, and Godwin. Um, there was no other support in the run game. McSorley only ran for, uh, I think, 13 yards. Andre Robinson had four yards, and, and Mark Allen had a carry that didn't go anywhere. Uh, Deshaun Hamilton, I don't think, was even targeted during the game. Um, DeAndre Tompkins, yeah, DeAndre Tompkins, two catches, nine yards. Mike Kosicki, he had the touchdown, but that was his only catch of the day. So it was really just, and this is incredible when you think about how many points Penn State piled up. It was really just Barkley and and Godwin the entire time, and and, and then of course you know the the, the slow start again, which. Um, you know, I, I don't even know how to how, how to address that anymore. And then the failure to be able to run the four minute offense at the end of the game. Um, it, it, it's weird to see a team put up forty nine points in in the middle two quarters of the game, and then suddenly when they know they have a two score lead, trying to sit on it and, and drain clock. And you know, I you know the, the strategy itself seems obvious enough, and it's it's great if it works. And in the end, they had a third and four to ice the game, and you know they didn't make it. That's it was like shades of like the Maryland game from a few years ago, like the John Donovan offenses that couldn't close out teams. It felt like that, and oh. um, you know it's 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 unfortunate, and that's that's just you know USC made the plays at the right time, and uh, hats off to them. Yeah, it's. I, almost ironic in a way that, you know, a Penn State team that scored 49 points wasn't able to get four yards when it absolutely needed to. But, yeah, you know, football does that. Every once in a while, you know, something weird like that happens and that ends up, that, I mean, that ends up deciding the game. So, uh, and yeah. I, I don't think it was the wrong call either. You yeah. Know, you, you have a guy who was, Barkley was over 200 yards at that point. He lost seven on the play and ended up with 194. Yeah. I mean, you had a guy who's at essentially 200 yards and has carried the team the whole afternoon and night. You give it to him when you need four yards. I don't, I don't argue with, with uh, the play call. Just, you know, and Moorhead said it after the game. Like, he thought he had the right call and, and um, uh, Clancy Pen- is that, am I, am I say his name? Clancy Pendergast? Is it Clancy? Um, I'll, I'll, all I want to call him is Teddy Pendergast, but that's not right. Um, <laughs> Clancy Pendergast. Thank you. Uh, he made the right call. You know, he he sent the blitz in from that side, and and it was blowing up for a loss of seven, and that was that. Yeah. And and you knew Penn, you knew Penn State's defense was not going to to hold them. Yeah, I, and that's not like that's not even because Penn State's defense, like uh, again, it didn't play all that bad. It's just USC's offense at a certain point got so locked in that nothing mattered. I mean. And then I'm looking, you know, at the box score for Penn State in the receiving game. Chris Godwin, 11 targets, 9 catches. Saquon Barkley, 5 targets, 5 catches. Mike Gesicki, 4 targets, 1 catch. Uh, DeAndre Tompkins, 3 targets, 2 catches. Mark Allen, 1 target, 1 catch. Like, you, you had to run the ball. You almost had to run the ball in that situation. Barkley, 
I mean, he was just playing out of his mind all game. You put the ball in your ha- in the hands of your best player. And th- I mean, going back to the Northwestern game uh, last year, the thing that everyone complained about when Penn State wasn't able to get that first down that it needed was that, you know, maybe a pass works there. In that situation, Saquon Barkley is your best player. You almost have to put the ball in the hands of your best player. Third and four, basically the entire playbook's open. So USC gambled on that one, and they gambled correctly. Like, that happens. Uh, Matt, what about for you? What was kind of the bad thing that you took away from this one? I guess this kind of goes off what Chris was saying, and I should go with Chris because he runs this thing, and I don't want to make the boss mad, but... (laughs) Just the, the overall inconsistency, I guess. Um, and we've talked about it in a number of different ways. But I'm, I'm looking at the drive charts here. And the game started interception, interception, punt, punt. And then touchdown, 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 <laughs> touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. And then it ended fumble, punt, punt, interception. And so it was just, it was bizarre in that nothing was working. Then suddenly everything was working. And then all of a sudden everything stopped working. Um, and the thing I hate about one score games is you can go back and there are so many plays that if one thing goes differently, you can make the argument, the outcome changes. Um, the one that, you know, obviously the not getting four yards in that third and four, um, and this is absolutely a hindsight speaking here, but I kind of wish they would have thrown something there. Um, cause you, you, you almost knew in a sense that USC was going to sell out against Barkley. Um, that's the guy that, that really got Penn State back into the game and gave us the lead. And then they, they, they knew that's where we were going. And it, just, it felt like there had to have been some sort of way to take advantage of knowing that they were going to send pretty much everyone at Barkley, whether it's a play-action pass or the tunnel screen they've run you know, with some success throughout the year. Um, you know, we were about the incompletion, I guess, but at that point with two minutes left, you know, one timeout versus no timeouts for USC, it's not that big a difference, I guess. Um, but this is all, all nitpicking to the nth degree just because <laughs> we're talking about an offense that put up 49 points and 460 yards of offense and, and all that. Um, it, I think a lot about the play before the interception at the end where Gesicki was wide open. Um, I don't know if, if ESPN showed a replay that just showed how wide open he was. But Trace was probably a half second slow with it um, to recognize how open he was. And Gesicki kind of sat there and waited for the ball to come to him and gave, um, I can't tell you, who it might have been the same guy who made the interception. It Um, was. um, You know, if Gesicki comes back to the ball there by 18 inches, he probably makes the catch or at least um, has a much better chance than he did. I don't begrudge him. I don't think he had any idea the safety was even there at that point. Yeah. You know, he kind of came from, from not even center field, probably left field there. Um, there's, there's just, you know, I can go on and on, but those are kind of the, the two that stick out to me is just um, the opportunity was there to make just one more play. Um, you know, I, I think about Brandon Bell going out injured. Um, that really seemed to be the turning point for the defense. They had really played well, like Chris said, for those three or four drives that are right in the middle of, of the game. And then Bell went out, and USC just went right at um, Cam Brown. Um, Cole Farmer had some nice moments, but I think we, we saw how much they missed Manny Bowen, who sat out with the suspension, of course. Um, I thought uh, Tompkins 
the game was almost a little bit too big for him. Um, obviously, the miscommunication on the first offensive play of the game, and then the the second interception that went off his hands. Um, but I, with all that said, I keep going back to the, the starting lineups, which is an odd thing to say, but I'll tell you why. As they're going through, and, and at the game, they they listed, they named every starter, and they had a, a shot on the, the video board of all of them. They're going through, the offense is what sticks out to me, but they're going through the offensive line, and you've got a redshirt freshman in Ryan Bates at left tackle. You have a redshirt freshman, Steven Gonzalez, at left guard. The center, obviously, Brian Guy, the senior. Your right guard is a true freshman, and your right tackle is a redshirt sophomore. Those are four guys, all underclassmen, starting on your offensive line, and you're in the Rose Bowl. And, and a then, bunch of them playing out of position, yeah. too. For yeah. sure, for sure. And, you, and then you don't, we're not even mentioning your redshirt sophomore quarterback, your sophomore running back. Um, just this team, we could make the case was, and it's a pretty easy case to make, actually, is that they were a, really a year ahead of schedule, probably, when we look at absolutely when we really thought Penn State would be in a position to be playing on that kind of stage. Um, and we're going to get to it here a little bit more down the, later in the podcast, but all that bad, I think a lot of that comes from that youth all over the field. And I think what we're going to see here in eight or nine months that the experience of all those guys getting this action, getting the extra practice and everything that goes along with the bowl game are really going to be a lot better for it. I think the program is going to be a lot better for it. Yeah. I, I, uh, I mean, going back to kind of that first point you made, I mean, John Wooden has a quote about, you know, you don't want to let, in life, you don't want to let the peaks get too high and the valleys get too low, and it seemed like Penn State kind of did that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the offensive line and really just all the youth on this team gives us so much optimism heading into next year. Again, we'll talk about that in one second, uh, but for me, the bad thing was I'm getting really, really uh tired of my favorite player on the team getting hurt in the bowl game and having to go out early last year was Christian Hackenberg. This year it was Brandon Bell. I mean, watch, I missed that Bell actually got escorted or started getting escorted to the locker room before, literally right before he ended up getting hurt uh, and basically saying, like, no, this is the Rose Bowl. I'm not coming out for this. So... Like that, that's just so cruel. The fact that, you know, he was getting ready to, you know, to call it a game, maybe call it a day because his body just couldn't go. And then he decided, wait, I can go. And then his body just, it, his body betrayed him. Like it hurts. It hurts seeing something like that. It hurts seeing a guy who has been so proud uh, to wear the blue and white for four years and, I mean, Matt, I've mentioned this to you. I think we're going to look back in a decade and go, man, that Brandon Bell is really, really good. And we almost underrate how good he is right now. Uh, but, yeah, that that sucked. And then, yeah, watching how Penn State, like just how it started and ended the game. I mean, I was sitting, my seat was a couple rows back um, right behind the goalpost in Penn State's end zone. So, I got a pretty solid view of that first kickoff, and I can't blame Sanders for having some trouble with it because whatever USC's kicker did, I mean, it didn't. The ball didn't have any spin on it, so it kind of knuckleballed and moved from the left to the right in no time. Uh, Is that what it was? Because I yeah. could, you could not pick that up on TV at all because, of course, it's, it's a view from the side. Yeah, I yeah. So I'm just watching there, and I'm watching it kickoff, and I've never been 
like in this angle watching football before. It was actually really cool watching on like kickoffs, how you could see how everything develops, and it really gives you an appreciation for how hard that job is compared to, you know, when we're watching on TV or watching from a different angle from maybe higher up. But yeah, the ball gets kicked and it just doesn't like go end over end or anything like that. It just kind of stays flat. And it's going straight, it's going straight, and then you know how a really good knuckleball, it'll look like one thing, and then when it gets about 10 feet away from the plate, it just, the bottom falls out completely, and there's nothing you can do about it. Like, that's what happened with this ball, and, you know, Sanders is just in a really tough position, I think that ended up getting to him a little bit. But again, this goes back to youth. Like, he's a young dude, he's a true freshman, who is supposed to be the first person who gets his hands on the football in the Rose Bowl. Like something weird was all uh, like something weird could just happen there. And it did. And then McSorley, who's been kind of unshakable all year, his first pass intercepted his second pass intercepted both because another young guy, there was first, there was a miscommunication. Second, he wasn't able to bring a ball in. Like, it was just all these little things where it almost felt like for some of the dudes, they kind of got caught up in the moment, which that happens. And considering how they were able to eventually put up 49 points and really give a really good USC team all they could handle, there's no shame in that. It's something to build on heading into next year, uh, which we'll talk about in one second. But first things first, I just want to talk about how you felt after because – you know, after losses, I think we're really prone to, you know, getting really mad, uh, you know, just sitting there seething. Uh, in sports, fans are really good at making the failures of people who work really hard about themselves. <laughs> um, like, I'm writing something uh, for Uproxx that'll be live tomorrow where I basically talk about how this is a ridiculous concept, but. Uh, for now, and I guess I'll start, like, I wanted to be really mad about this one. Uh, I wanted to be mad at the fact that Penn State, you know, got outscored 17 to nothing in the fourth quarter, how, uh, its success rate in the fourth quarter was 7% compared to 63% for USC, but I just couldn't do it. Like, I kept coming back to the fact that, like we've been saying, this year was not supposed to be the year. This was supposed to be the year that Penn State uh, maybe is able to throw a couple of punches against Ohio State and Michigan and Michigan State and is maybe able to be Iowa at home at night. But I know at the beginning of the year I was doing this fun thing where I was looking into things I could potentially do in Nashville when we went down there for the Music City Bowl. And then just things started happening. You know, they get... They lose a heartbreaker to Pitt. They get their asses handed to them by Michigan. The first half of the Minnesota game happens. We're talking about, and Chris, again, I believe this is your quote, and we've said it on here, but is Franklin's uh, buyout suddenly an investment? And then yes, and I like that when you when you mentioned it on a previous podcast, you didn't name me. That was very kind of you. But, yes, I absolutely said that. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I mean, I didn't know if you'd be cool with it or not, and I figured that if you <laughs> no. weren't cool, I figured if you weren't cool no, with it, it, you could yell it's... at me here and I could censor this entire part. But, yeah, and then they just didn't lose. They just kept yeah. throwing haymakers for the rest of the year, and every single one of them landed. And we knew what Penn State was going to be. It was going to be a team that took risks on offense – it was going to be a team that um, it wasn't bending but not breaking on defense, but 
it seemed like for you know their entire win streak, the defense was playing above what we thought it was probably capable of. And against USC, that defense fell back to earth a little bit. Those risks uh, at the end ended up costing Penn State. And you sit there and you go, I'm really unhappy that my team lost. I'm really unhappy that my team blew a lead. But I'm also watching my team play in the Rose Bowl in a year when I was expecting them to go to Nashville. So I don't know how realistically mad I could be. Um, But yeah, it was... A few days later, I still can't totally believe that Penn State made it to the Rose Bowl. I still can't totally believe how it ended. Uh, but I'm happy that they got that opportunity, and I know that they will be a better team for having gone toe-to-toe with USC in what was essentially a glorified home game for the Trojans and just fighting. Like I think one thing that we may have a little bit later on the site this week is how this team personified a bunch of fighters, and that's absolutely the case. And it was one of those years that made me really proud and really happy to support this team because it was awesome. Uh, Chris, let's go to you because you uh, you weren't there. You and I know Matt is going to have a real had a really fun time while he was there uh, dealing with some USC fans who were trying to get <laughs> under his skin. So, what I, I mean from the comfort of your couch after the game ended, did you go upstairs and look at your beautiful children and go, "I'm blessed." What like no matter what happens, I'm blessed to be a father. So. Really, that's all that matters in this life. Or maybe, what? Maybe that's why I, I I don't react as strongly as I used to. I mean, I didn't like kick the dog or anything. I was I, I was <laughs> you know disappointed that the game ended the way it did. Uh, when you have a two score lead and then suddenly it's tied and then you know you think you're going to overtime and and you know that that interception happens. As soon as that happened, I think I typed in, in our Slack like, oh, what a shitty way to lose a football game. <laughs> like just, you know, the, because everything had gone, well, I mean, the, the whole night was absolutely insane, of course. But um, to have it end like that was, was certainly a disappointment. But as look, as soon as Penn State, as soon as Penn State beat Ohio State, <clears throat> they were playing with house money. And they kept doubling it and doubling it and doubling it and doubling it until, uh, until you know, the last quarter of the Rose Bowl. There's there, It was a privilege to watch that game. It was a privilege to have my favorite team be a part of it. I know we, we mentioned Spencer earlier. He tweeted right after the game, favorite game of the year, no second place. And, and, and that's how I felt. Like It was just an, an amazing game filled with all of these amazing individual feats of athleticism, whether it was on the USC side or, or Barkley and Godwin. And, and, you know, all, there was so much... To love about that game that and and you know Penn State got more out of that game in, in a 52 in 49 loss than they would have out of a 13 to 10 win yeah the, their their stature nationally increased infinitely everybody was watching that game everybody was talking about how both teams put on such an amazing display and and you you see that you know, in in the the sort of uh, the opinion makers after the game, guys like Herb Street and, and Colin Coward and, and all these national media types, they know. Like for all the people that you know, we realized that this team was for real months ago, but it never really caught on on a national scale. And even you know, even with the Big Ten championship, you know, it, the big comeback in that game changed changed a few minds. But everybody knows now. 
what this program is capable of and, and, and that this program, you know, is finally back. And what these two teams did essentially was drag each other back into the national spotlight mm-hmm. through the course of putting up 101 points. It was just, you know, so how mad can you really be? Yeah. Your team went, what, 11-3. and three. They were in the Rose Bowl in a season that, you, like you said, you're, you're thinking about Motor City Bowl or Quick Lane Bowl or, or Foster Farms <laughs> Bowl or, or, you know, or whatever the hell, whatever tire bowl is, is out there for a team <laughs> that wins seven or, eight, seven or eight games, whatever pit plays in, in Birmingham or Shreveport or wherever the hell it is. Um, you know, it's, you can't take the disappointment of the last quarter of this game and throw that like a blanket over the entire season. The yeah. season was amazing. It was unexpected. It's something that nobody really could have predicted the way this. And it was a fun team to cheer for. You know, it, it was a bunch of really fun kids uh, having the time of their lives. A, a, a coaching staff that really enjoyed each individual moment. Fra- from Franklin to Moorhead to guys like Lime Grover and you know, Terry Smith, whoever it was. It was a very joyous team to watch, and that's something that, frankly, we didn't get a lot of during the Joe Paterno years. The the O'Brien years was sort of just a, a matter of survival, and the first two years under, or first two or three years under Franklin um, with with John Donovan. I mean, uh, you know, there, there was there was no joy in that either. Even with you know a guy we love like Christian Hackenberg, you know, just the body language he displayed throughout. Uh, especially last season, there was no joy on that team, and and that's something that I think is is a byproduct of Franklin having more of his guys in the system now. Um, it's it's a very obviously tight knit group that really had a lot of fun playing, and I, I think it was evident um, throughout the season. Yeah, I mean, the best uh, the best example of where we were all at. Uh, uh, I look back to the Minnesota game, and after that, even though Penn State won, uh, our buddy Kevin Horn tweeted something that we'd been saying, uh, you know, kind of amongst ourselves. You know, me, me and Kevin and a few other people, <laughs> he just tweeted Christmas in Detroit, baby, because we were all ready to go to the Quick Lane Bowl. And instead, we got this. We got this remarkable season that ended in going to the Rose Bowl. And there's just one thing I want to make clear. There is a, in my mind, there's a big difference in being upset with how Penn State lost. You know, you're sad, you're angry, you know, they blew this weed, all that, and being disappointed in how Penn State lost. Because disappointed implies that you had an expectation. And I think that this team proved that any expectation that any of us had at the beginning of the year, even at the middle of the year and towards the end of the year, was surpassed. So I don't know if you could be disappointed uh, in anything this team did, but you can certainly be upset with you know the last you know the last quarter of the 2016 Penn State football season. Uh, still, it was awesome, uh, Matt. I know you had a fun time at the game. Anything? Uh, How'd you how'd you feel after that one ended, buddy? Well, in the immediate aftermath, I, w- I was none too pleased with with three things, um, and none of them have anything to do with with the Penn State football team. So I'll run through them very quickly. One, the U.S. entirety of the USC team deciding to celebrate their Rose Bowl championship in emphatic seventeen points unanswered come from behind fashion 
directly in front of the Penn State Blue Band and the Penn State section of the Rose Bowl, despite having about 70% of, of the crowd uh, as SC fans. May, but, may, but may I defend that kids, for a second? May I defend that for a second? By all means. Well, I mean, well, one, the point you're about to make, they're college kids. They just want a monster exactly, game. Exactly. That, like, they're going to celebrate like that. And two, the thing that I've always loved about USC is that when they are good, I don't think there is a school in college football that has that swagger that USC does. And it's the thing that I think makes them so special. So in a way, seeing that, yeah, for a second I was like, oh, God, why are they doing this? But at the same time, this said to me that a program that, when they're good, the sport is in a better place, that program was back. So, it, it don't get me wrong. In the, like, for a nanosecond, I hated it, but they're 18, 19, 20, 21-year-olds celebrating the biggest win of their life and something that is bringing USC football to a place where we do kind of forget that they were sanctioned for a while and they went through some really rough years and... This, I, I, I don't remember who said it, but someone on their team basically said that USC was back, and I think that this was, that that exact moment kind of proved that. So while, yes, okay, I get not liking that, I think on the whole that's a good thing. And again, that's something that Penn State's football team, I think, was going to see. And one of their goals now is to make it back to the Rose Bowl next year and play against the USC team that is probably going to end up winning the Pac-12. I, I absolutely agree with that. So it, that was a, a momentary blip because, like I like I was going to say before, you very rudely interrupted me. That you know they're college kids and they probably you know didn't even realize what was happening until it was happening. Uh, and then there were USC fans around us. There was one guy in particular that was had his phone out taking video of Penn State fans while he was egging them on to try and get some kind of reaction. Um, and then finally outside the stadium, as I was waiting for my group of friends to, to get back, um, uh, with my girlfriend, as we were waiting for them to, to get back to where we had parked, um, there was one very clearly intoxicated, large individual wearing, uh, I don't know, are they garnet and gold or, or whatever colors SC wants to be known by, um, that was running his mouth about Sandusky a little bit, but that's, that's neither here nor there. So in the heat of the moment with a, the game ending the way it did, those, those three things kind of got to me more than they otherwise would have probably. Um, aside from that, um, very much along the lines with what you guys were saying, I think by the time we had walked the, the mile or so back to, to where we had parked our car, um, it was kind of that realization that, holy crap, we are 11-3, and three, Big Ten champions, a huge home win against Ohio State, uh, the, the thrilling come-from-behind victory against Wisconsin and in Indianapolis, in 2016, now 2017. Um, and I have something going up on the site, hopefully tomorrow um, or Tuesday, Thursday, whatever day this is, um, that is going to kind of talk about and opens with, I really had a hell of a year from as a sports fan between the Cavs and the Tribe and now Penn State football and even the Blue Jackets uh, <laughs> rolling off 16 straight in the NHL. Um, and this Penn State team just kind of goes right along with that and just like Chris said, the sheer joy of watching these guys come together and the fun they had. And like I wrote about earlier in the season, Penn State football is fun again. Um, I think we could, well, a lot of us would have been, would have been happy with a 7-5, and 8-4 and four kind of season as long as this was enjoyable and was you know, not, not a chore to watch anymore. 
um, like it had been the last couple of seasons. Um, but it was not only fun and entertaining again, but they were winning. And like Chris said, we've been dragged back into the national conversation um, along with USC that these two programs not only are back, um, but I kind of had this realization today that they're not only back, but they're back to, to stay, I think, between the way both programs have recruited, between the youth of, on each team. Um, neither one of these programs is, is going to slip back into the mediocrity and, and uh, blow the radar anymore. I think they're, they're back where both fan bases and both programs expect to be, and that's, that's a pretty cool thing. And I think you know, once you get past that disappointment of, of a very uh, poorly played fourth quarter and the missed chances, that's, that's the takeaway from it. Uh, so real quick, we have a bit of an audio issue that we're trying to work out. So uh, this may end up being a very funky transition. I apologize for it right now, and we'll be right back once we get this all figured out. All right? Cool. This is a podcast, so it's going to sound like that anyway. Whatever. Bye. All right, so we hopefully got our shit together. I don't know if we had, but it's perfect for this blog that we don't have it all together when just talking about something important. Let's get to talking about this season um, I kind of mentioned my thoughts on this year in the spiel that I just went on. Uh, but, yeah, Matt, just on the whole, like, as simply as you can, because I'm sure we'll have plenty of looking back on the year stuff on the site, just your thoughts about this season. Well, like I was just saying before, we had to uh, to hit the restart button on this and, and plug unplug the podcast and plug it back in, that... This was the year that Penn State became fun again and became uh, appointment viewing more than it had been probably for a lot of people, um, where you look forward to Saturday at noon or 3.30 or 8 o'clock, whenever the game started. Um, you, you look forward to the game during the week, um, you know, whether it was the Ohio State game or the Rutgers game. It was, it was a chance, one of your, in this case, 14 chances this year, to, to see your, your university's football team play. And you know you're going to have fun doing it. Um, and I think seeing you know a guy like Trace McSorley or pick an offensive lineman or uh, a defensive lineman or Manny Bowen or any of the number of young players that got got thrown into roles probably before we would have liked to in the years in years past, started to see that pay off. And um, really, this was this was the big step that needed to happen for for Penn State to really return to the national discussion. Um, and like, like we're going to find out over the next eight months, they're really going to be one of those programs that gets mentioned with Alabama and Ohio State and USC and Oklahoma and Florida State. And you know, I'm probably leaving someone out else out here in Washington that is going to be a legitimate contender going into the 2017 season for a playoff spot for conference titles for national championship appearance kind of things whether that, whether they achieve that or not, we'll find out. But I think it's really Penn state became in a sense, Penn state again, the, the program that, that a lot of us, you know, fell in love with and became fans of years ago because they were one of those, those big time programs that competed for those things on an annual basis. They're, they're back there again, and like I was saying earlier, I think they're they're really there to stay with kind of the way things are set up now going forward. I think we learned a lot about James Franklin as as a CEO. He hired Joe Moorhead, which was a brilliant move. Uh, Brent Pry, he stuck with him, and 
it really paid off. I mean, if you look at the S&P Plus, the defense, I believe, is rated higher than our offense, which is crazy considering they just gave up 52 points. But it, it's, it's, it's great to see the amount of heart, the amount of depth. I mean, think about where Penn State's linebackers were in the middle of the season. Think about where their offensive linemen were near the end of the season with all the injuries. I mean, guys like Chaz Wright and Steven Gonzalez, if you would have told anyone back in August that those guys are going to be starting at the end of the year, it would have been, I mean, th- those are guys that were essentially given up on by, by a lot of guys that, that, that observed this program closely. So, you know, Matt Limegrover, brilliant hire. Um, Terry Smith and Tim Banks both did, I mean, Terry Smith's been around for a little while, but Tim Banks, you know, the, another guy who's recruiting well and, and his, his position players played really well. Malik Golden, great year. Jeez. Um, McSorley, you know, we were just hoping he would be a decent game manager. He turned out to be so much more. Um, guys like Irv Charles made big plays at random times. Saeed Blacknell made big plays. Mike Kosicki re- redeemed himself. Um, so many guys contributed on the defensive line. So many guys contributed in the defensive backfield as well. I mean, we, there, were, there, there were some constant injuries going on in the middle of the season there with guys like Grant Haley and uh, Christian Campbell and a lot of guys were banged up and so many guys got experience and it, the depth on this team moving forward is just insane uh, uh, in offensive line defensive line uh, you know Miles Sanders has to find carries at some point so it's just you know you can't look at anything about this season and and be mad this is a year ahead of schedule and and you know it's 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 a blessing to just sort of see Penn State back to this stature again. Now we're back at like the Florida State level where if you lose three games, you're really pissed off about it. Um, it's 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 nice to have back again. It's nice to have relevant football. It's nice just to to see the the guys who wear uh, my favorite laundry on Saturdays performing well. Yeah, um, yeah. This, this it was just a good year, man. Like it. It's fun when your season, when your team is good. I mean, we all know that when your team is supposed to win, you know, 9, 10, 11 games, and they do win 9, 10, 11 games, that's good because they met an expectation that you set. That's obviously awesome. But it's so much fun when your team is supposed to win six or seven or maybe eight games, and they end up uh, winning 11 and winning the Big Ten East and just winning the Big Ten in general. So. It was awesome, and th- there are just so many different ways that we can say this year was awesome uh, because at a certain point that gets pretty repetitive. So, yeah, uh, let's get into some little quick hitters here. Uh, first things first, we're recording this on Wednesday night, so we're recording this uh, about three hours after Garrett Sickles announced that he was going to the NFL. Uh, we don't really have a... Uh, a projection on where he's supposed to go into the draft, those sites and whatnot haven't updated yet. But Matt, uh, he, he's one of those guys, I talked a little bit earlier about how Brandon Bell was an underrated Penn State football player for what he was able to do on the field. From his time as a recruit, Garrett Sickles has been one of Penn State's most important football players. For sure. I think that 2013 class, there were, there were four guys that were really the linchpins 
and Christian Hackenberg and Adam Brenneman for obvious reasons playing, you know, the signature position of quarterback in Hackenberg's case and being the top player in Pennsylvania in Brenneman's case, or one of the top players in the state his senior year in high school, were kind of the two names that, that every Penn State fan knows and remember for, for a long, long time. Uh, Brendan Mann and, and Garrett Sickles were the other two guys, both both highly recruited kids out of New Jersey that you know, a lot of programs wanted, and they were the third and fourth parts of that quartet of, of big-time players that, as it's kind of become, become uh, cliche to say, are the, the ones that made it okay to, to go to Penn State still when the sanctions hit and everything that was going on a few years ago. Um, and so I, I think that part, especially for, for Sickles and Mann, really needs to be talked about more because we, we've got you know, one more year of man now, um, as he announced last week, that he intends to play um, in 2017, um, assuming his health continues to, to uh, continue on the upswing um, after the injury against Iowa. Um, I hope we talk more about that you know, with Sickles here in the coming days, um, with how important he was in keeping that class and really the program as a whole together um, to a, a large degree. And then throughout next year with Brendan Mann, who's really going to kind of be the the last major piece of that class um, to, to leave his mark at Penn State. Um, as far as a player, um, I don't I don't remember enough of him as a recruit, to be honest with you, to know if he was thought he was going to be that difference maker, you know, 10 sack a year, you know, pressuring the quarterback, coming off the edge kind of guy, or if what we saw this year was kind of more of what the, the kind of enemy he was going to be. Um, my, my lasting memory of him will always be, though, um, aside from his, his commitment to Penn State and sticking with the Lions, is that second half against Ohio State earlier this year, where after he sat out for, I believe, was missing a class um, on the, the week before the bye week, he just came out and played absolutely out of his mind and really, through his own sheer will, pulled Penn State back into that game. Um, he was His play is kind of the one that lit the fire in the second half there, and I think... Um, I, I love the fact that any player can kind of have that signature moment. Um, and that's, that's what I'll kind of remember Sickles for, um, going forward. Yeah. I'm looking at, uh, his numbers from that game, according to a Bill Conley in one half of action, he had six tackles, three and a half tackles for loss and two and a half sacks. Like he was <laughs> just ridiculous. And, uh, Chris, there's something, uh, you can expand on a bit, but, uh, last year he was a, a very solid football player. Uh, wasn't you know he wasn't a game changer or anything like that, but he was a very solid guy on the defensive line where he got forgotten about because Penn State had three NFL uh, draft picks on that line, and then this year he was looked to be the leader of the line, uh, a line that again had to replace those three NFL dudes. It looked like it took him a little, and once he got locked in, he was really good. So. If you, I, I, again, I think he was a pretty underrated player. I thought he was pretty good. And when he was on, like he was in the Ohio State game, he was he, he was a monster. Yeah, and, and yeah, obviously we, we wish him well. You know, and, and it goes for any of these players, really. You want them to uh, have, have a good time. You want them to graduate. You want them to uh, remain healthy. And you want them to have like a moment to remember or a performance to remember. And that was... Like Matt said, the second half against Ohio State, that's something that even if the NFL doesn't work out for him, that's something he's always going to have is that night in the whiteout just tearing ass 
against uh, <laughs> JT Barrett and, and Ohio State's offensive line. So uh, very happy for him, wishing him all the luck in the world. Um, I'm also excited to see the guys that will be uh, coming up behind him. That's the great thing about college football is that there's always somebody else coming. Uh, can't wait to see Sharif Miller and Shane Simmons and all kinds of other guys uh, and, and, and see what they have uh, see what they can do on the field as well. Yeah, it's fun that Penn State could lose a guy as important as Sickles and the concern just isn't there because there's Sharif Miller, there's Torrance Brown, there's Ryan Buckholtz, there's Shane Simmons, there's Yeter Matos, there are there there's Shaka Tony. I mean there are other dudes who are now going to get opportunities and it like they had the potential to be special and they're now going to get their moment to shine. And like you said, that's one of the fun things about college football is that there's that talent pipeline that's always there. Yeah, um, and I named a I named a bunch of coaches earlier and I forgot Sean Spencer and that guy yeah. I, I think we I think we just kind of take him for granted at this point. But, but every year he's been here, he finds guys. To, you know, you worry about the depth on the defensive line. You worry about guys playing new positions, and he finds guys and he plugs them in and coaches them up. And now we have the situation where, I mean, they were rolling ten guys between the the tackles and and, and the ends. So and and with not much of a drop off from from player to player. So. Uh, all credit to uh, to Coach Chaos as well. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think I I've mentioned this a few times, but at Media Day, the listening to the defensive line, uh, they were so confident that they were going to be a really good this unit that it was kind of stunning, and all that came went back to Coach Chaos because he was just as confident in everyone else that they were going to be one of the best units in America. So it was awesome. Uh, moving on to the next thing, uh, this is our last Penn State thing for this edition of the pod. Uh, just some thoughts going into 2017. Like, if I asked you, Chris, right now to set a bar for the 2017 Penn State Nittany Lions, total knee-jerk reaction, you don't have to put much thought into it, but set the bar. What is acceptable for Penn State football next year if you're being, you know, if you're just being kind of irrational and you haven't had the time to really digest this year and think about what's going to happen next year. Ten wins. Interesting. Ten wins. Okay. I mean, I, I, I think that's sort of going to be the the point at which people, if they get ten or more, people will be satisfied. And if they get nine or less, people are going to look at it as a missed opportunity. All right. Uh, Matt, what about yourself? I'm excited. <laughs> I know that's, that's, that's a huge understatement, uh, just given you know, everything that's happened. But um, you know, I, I get you know, the, the expectation level goes up, and um, you know, anything less than 10 wins, I think we would all agree, at least at this point, it would be a huge letdown. Um, but that's, that's the fun part about being, being a program that expects to, to compete for championships, both in the conference and on the national level, um, and play in big games. Um, that's exciting. You know, it's, you know, Penn State gets, gets Michigan in their building next year with a chance to, to avenge this year's loss. Um, they get pit at home. They, they get a chance to go to, to Columbus, which I think we would all agree is just going to be a massive, massive game. Probably the biggest one in the, in the conference next year, it looks like on paper. And these games all, all mean something a little bit more because what, what we all expect Penn State to do next year. Um, and then me, you know, being the following recruiting like I do, 
Um, and we'll, this is a whole other podcast coming down the road, but what this is going to do for the overall talent level in the program is just is, can't be overstated enough. or It's impossible to overstate it, I guess, is the right way to say it, that Penn State is the number one recruiting class for 2018 currently with seven players, all of whom are four stars, except the one guy who's a five-star and a freak and Micah Parsons, <laughs> who oh, I can't boy. wait to see do unholy things to poor children uh, this <laughs> fall as a high school senior and then you know, at Penn State in, in 2018. But that's, I, I'm getting a year ahead of, of, of the question here, but Penn State is, is a cool place to play college football again. It's a place that high schoolers that can play football anywhere in the country are excited to get an offer from. It's a place that um, is, is one of the, it's, it's back to where we all, you know, have been hoping and wanting for it to get back to for a long time where it's, it's Penn state again, like I said earlier. And I think that's, that's what 2017 and this whole build up to it is going to be is um, a lot of us, um, you know, my age and a little bit older are being reminded where, you know, what it's like to be that kind of Penn state again. And, and a lot of the younger fans that maybe don't, didn't experience that or didn't experience it at the, at the point they're at in their lives now, getting to, you know, learning what it's like to, to follow that Penn State. So um, it's, it's going to be a fun eight months, you know, you know, both, you know, selfishly on the website. I think we're really excited about what we're going to oh, yeah. do for you guys. But also, start a blog. but also just as as fans, that's what we all are. Um, you know, this this is going to be a, a long spring and a long summer before Labor Day weekend rolls around in September and, and, and we get to play Akron and get to put all, the, all this fun talk to, to practice. It's going to be a very different feeling that I, I don't think we've had as Penn State fans since 1999, maybe, uh, where Penn State's going to. I mean, there have been years that Penn State has sort of worked their, their way into the, to the top five or the top ten. Like 2005, they were unranked because of the, the crap years that came before it. But, you know, they end up number three in the country. They're going to start off five, six, seven, eight, somewhere in that range. And yeah. that's something that... You know, if if you're a current student or if you're in your twenties, um, you've never really experienced that. Not unless I'm 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 forgetting a year. I don't think I am. Um, even 2008, I don't think they were ranked very highly to start that year. Um, so I mean, you have to go back to '99 when you know Levar Arrington was a junior, I believe, and Penn State started off number one. And there was a, a young uh, redheaded quarterback. Uh, who I, his name I forget, and um, a defensive coordinator whose name I also forget. Um, but that's how far you have to go back. You know, we're talking 17 years, and um, it's it's a whole different feeling when you're coming into the season expecting to you know to to win those 10 or 11 games. Um, you're not going to get another season like this, and so cherish it. Um, this this came out of nowhere, and it was it was magical, and it was a lot of fun, and um, you're not going to get this going forward. The team's going to be too talented coming into each year that you're not going to get you know Penn State starting off you know being out of the top 25 until they beat Ohio State you know two thirds of two thirds of the way through the year. Um, it's going to be very different. Prepare for it. It's going to still be fun, but it's going to be nervous and like nerve-wracking and exciting in an entirely different way. Please beat Pitt. 
Really, they're that's gonna all. Destroy, holy sh- shit! They are going to drop seventy on Pitt, and I, I'm going to just I'm going to be doing that little Snoopy dance where he's just you know <laughs> head back, just twirling around in a circle. I'm just going to be like. I'm going to be doing tutty angels in my yard, just the points raining down <laughs> on me. It's going to be absolutely amazing. Um, yeah, they're going to kill Pitt, and it's going to be glorious because Franklin and Moorhead are just going to lay the hammer down on those clowns. It's going to be gorgeous. Above Nothing on earth would make me happier than Penn State winning by so many points that Pat Narduzzi says in his postgame press conference that they were running up the score. Nothing. Yes. Would, oh my God! If he does that, like odds are, I will be back at uh, my lovely state college home by the time the game ends. Uh, but if he does that, I'll just I'll, I'll turn around. I'll just run back up to the stadium yeah. and, and just you know, you know it, was just on sports, it was just on sportsman. Like they were throwing <laughs> the ball up eighty-three to nothing in the third quarter. I, I I don't you know that's not the way that's not the way we play it in, in, in Pittsburgh. Well, you you that's can not, that's you, you can do. you can dominate the state, should, but if you don't dominate it with class, you don't really dominate it. Yeah, I, I, we dominate the class uh, statistic, and I, I should have just taken the Purdue job. <laughs> Uh, th- there is our legally required Purdue reference. So uh, let's uh, move on to the last thing. Uh, just real shout quick. out to Rob Bolden shout- and our friends at Crimson Quarry. We love you all. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. So kick was, the kick was good. The kick. The kick was good. Absolutely. Uh, so yeah. Last thing. Um, national title game. Alabama Clemson. Uh, let's just have some fun. Let's pick a winner with this one. Um, I'm going to take Alabama uh, because here's the thing. If you just accept that. Alabama is an is an inevitability uh, that they are that they're just like death. Death is an inevitability, and so is Alabama football. So Alabama is going to win this game, and we're all going to sit there on our couches watching it and kind of just shrug our shoulders and go, "Yeah, oh well, we're used to this by now." Um, do either of you dissent? Do are either of you brave enough uh, to think that Clemson is going to win this game? I Clemson do. by two touchdowns. Well, I'm, I'm not going to say two touchdowns, but 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 Dabo is going to to get his title over his uh his hometown school. Why or, or whatever? Why? Yeah, because why? because Clemson is good. I think we kind of forgot this year how you know they had always had their struggles. They lost to Pitt, which um, you know, only really good teams do, and the. We saw against Ohio State, they really became Clemson again, I think. They realized that they are the second most talented teams in, team in the country behind Alabama. And I, don't know, I, I, I think they, they put it all together, and they played with them a year ago, and uh, I think they, they finished the job this year. You don't, uh, you don't think that Alabama's offense plays insane for Lane? Uh, I <laughs> I, I don't think Lane Kiffin will have much of an impact on this game. Well, listen, man. Or, or his spirit. I, I was going to say, he's there. In, I actually have a, a – eh, you know what, I'll just tell the story. Uh, I ran into a former Alabama football player uh, while I was at the Rose Bowl. Uh, I tweeted that I saw uh, Greg McElroy. I ended up seeing a different Alabama football player with whom I had this exchange, a uh, former Alabama football player. And I saw them, and I screamed their name, and I said, what do you think about Lane Kiffin? And they just turned their head and started laughing really hard and walked away from me because it, it seemed like they felt that they were going to get in trouble no matter how they responded. So they made it a point to just ignore the stupid <laughs> jerk, in the, jerk in the Christian Hackenberg jersey. So, uh, yeah, that was, that was fun. Uh, but, yeah, I'm, 
Uh, Chris, you said two touchdowns. Why, uh, why are you feeling two touchdowns? Uh, just to be as contrary as possible. Um, oh, okay. I, I don't like, and, and I don't like the, the Sarkeesian, uh, play calling as suddenly jumping in, you know, the guy's an analyst for Fox sports for about, uh, 30 minutes in the beginning of the season. Now he's calling plays in the national championship game. Uh, I, you know, I don't think that's, uh, I, I can see Clemson's defensive line really disrupting, some things that Alabama wants to do, and you know what the hell? Let's let's do something different. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's where I'm at. I mean, I I want to hear some. I want to see something different, um, but life becomes easier when uh, when you just accept that Alabama is Alabama and all that. So yeah, let's uh, roll tide. I guess roll if tide. if if Deshaun Watson can not make back-breaking turnovers that that turn into Alabama defensive touchdowns yes. they're gonna have they're gonna have a very good chance to win the game yeah I, I think that seems fair uh so yeah uh I think we're all rooting for Clemson two of us are brave enough to pick Clemson uh I very much am not so I hope y'all have fun watching the national championship game and I hope y'all had fun listening to this edition of the podcast uh we're still we still got some shirts uh so make make sure you buy them we have some Ideas for stuff in the pipeline that I think y'all are really going to like. Uh, keep reading and supporting the site. Football season's over. There's still basketball. There's still hockey. There's still wrestling. And we hope uh, we hope that we become your go-to for all of those Penn State sports. Follow us on social media. Uh, like us on Facebook. Follow on Twitter, Google Play, SoundCloud, iTunes. Subscribe if you want to get more from the podcast. Give us reviews on there. And yeah, uh, we hope that you enjoyed. Uh, this Penn State football season as much as we did. Uh, Nick and I have a few more podcasts uh, on deck before we truly call it quits on the year. Uh, but, yeah, hope you, uh, hope you all enjoyed this one. Uh, for Matt DeBaron, for Chris Grovich, I am Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone.